So you're well, and, and uh, you're enjoying your freedoms a little more? <laughs> no, yes. Uh, um, well, it's good to see you. Um, this morning, uh, there's a challenge gone out. There's a challenge come out from the first service, you know, for you guys. Um, we've, been, we've been talking about, in, in past weeks, if you're a visitor this morning, um, Throughout the lock, during the lockdown, we looked at a start of a series on um, on personal revival and what it is to be, you know, awoken uh, from that slumber that so many Christians find themselves in. And we talked about that for a few weeks of just being awoken to the reality of God's presence and awoken to the reality that God is always wanting to work in us and move through us. And, 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 and it was a great series. And we've moved now that into um, this second series of, of um, a church that is alive and how the reality of, the reality of believers um, who are living in personal revival and how that looks to us as individuals and as a body of Christ should reflect to this world what a church alive should look like. So that's where we are right now. And here's the, here's the challenge, you see, coming from the first service. Um, and that is that we have each week we've begun by looking at um, these principles, if you will, or these realities of what it is to be alive in Christ and uh, and, and, and of course, each week now I've been hitting upon them. And the first week is that, we, first is of course that we know whose children we are, right? We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We know whose children we are. We know who our Father is. Our Father is not in this world. Our Father is not the influences of this world, the society around us. No, our Father is the God in heaven. He is the God of truth. He is a God of the Bible. And He is a God who has revealed Himself to us through His truth and through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are His sons and daughters. His sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters that have been sanctified by that truth set apart according to God's purpose and God's calling upon our lives. We know whose children we are, don't we? Yes. Don't we? That's where revival starts, knowing that you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because you are sons and daughters of the Most High God, you long for His presence. You long to be in His presence. Therefore, you are children of prayer. You humble yourselves. You come before Him. You acknowledge your absolute, complete dependence upon Him. And we do, don't we? We earnestly, wholeheartedly desire His presence and His purpose in every aspect of our lives. And as we discover this relationship of intimacy, a big part of that is just this longing for God to work in us. And so we desire him to search us, don't we? To search us and to know us and to shine the light of his conviction upon our lives so that if there is anything in me that is stopping him or separating me from him or causing his light not to shine, we want it gone. We want to come to that place where where we're just hungering and thirsting after righteousness, longing for the illumination of God upon our spirits, that we will be all that he wants us to be in this world. And, 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 and through the most important truth, the gospel message of Jesus Christ to this world, the cross, the atoning sacrifice, that great gospel message that saves, transforms, and glorifies sinful people. It is the most important message that we have to give to this world world and that's what we take with us 
And because of that, being made alive in Christ, we are no longer satisfied with a complacent so-called spirituality that has no effect in our lives outside the, the, the walls of the church. We're, we're done with that, aren't we? We're finished with this superficial faith that has no influence within our lives to affect the lives of people around us for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And we are willing, we're willing to exchange this self-indulgence for a self-denying, life-transforming Christianity. And that's what it is to be alive. That's what it is to be alive. I've been repeating that to you for about six weeks now. And I challenged the first service this morning to be ready to repeat it back to me next week. You know what they said? They said they would get it before you guys would get it. That's a lie. <laughs> they didn't say that at all. But that was the challenge. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that to you. But let it be us. Let it be who we are. A people that are made alive. A people that have been awoken from a slumber. People that are reflecting the beauty of Christ and the gospel message to this world that we might see people saved. Because ultimately that's why you need to be revived. That's why you need to be alive. So that people will be saved and brought into the kingdom of God. And God always does that first. He revives his church. He wakes his church up to be all that he wants them to be. And so we need to be praying. We need to be all those things that we've just talked about. That this church, might, the world might see a church, a church alive. And so the question that we've been asking over these weeks has been, what does the gospel look like in the life of a believer which effectively, effectively shows to this world what a church alive looks like. And so as we continue with this thought, um, we as believers know a simple truth. And I don't think anybody will disagree with this truth. You all believe, don't you, that we have responsibility to one another. Do you believe that? We all believe that we should be taking care of one another. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would show any opposition to that reality. I, I, read, I, I heard a quote recently and I, and I loved it. And I don't even know what it was in relationship to, but he used a couple of words and, and he, I don't think it was in relationship to the Christian faith at all, but he said it is a simply spectacularly simple yet absolutely essential truth. I thought, what a great statement that is. And I believe it is. I believe it is a spectacularly simple yet absolutely essential truth. We need to be aware that we have a responsibility to one another, to take care of one another. That's what the body of Christ is. That's what the gospel message or what the gospel has saved us to be in this world. Um, who likes war movies? My dad loved war movies. Who's seen We Were Soldiers? Same amount of people as first service. <laughs> Same. Hey, what it is, We Were Soldiers is a movie that chronicles the beginning of the Vietnam War. 
And it starts with, the, with a, a, a lieutenant colonel. And his name is, is Hal Moore. And before they head off into the battle, he's giving his speech to his men. And, 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 and I love... Once you get past all the... Excuse me, but past all the American bravado that the speech begins with, he then says these words. He says, I swear before you and before Almighty God that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field and I will be the last to step off. I will leave no man, no one behind. And what the movie does is it makes much of his commitment that he has made to his men. I leave no one behind. I won't abandon anybody. I have a responsibility to you all, he says to his men. Now, whether or not you like the movie, whether or not you watch movies, this commitment that he makes to his men is very much in keeping with or very much reflective of the gospel principles or of gospel principles. And that is the relationship that we have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ the relationships that we have with one another should never ever be abandoned the gospel message is this is that we have been brought together as the eternal family haven't we we are the forever family that's who we are. And while we will not always get along, while we won't always see things exactly the same way, we may even offend one another from time to time. We, we may sadly even stumble one another from time to time. But we are family washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and we will never, ever, ever give up on family, will we? We will never give up on family. We will never abandon one another. We have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility to be there for each other. Which brings me to this essential need within the family of God. Last week we asked the question, what does grace look like in the family, in the Christian? What does it look like, you know? Well, this week, it's, it's forgiveness. It is essential within the body of Christ. You see, without forgiveness, we simply splinter. And without forgiveness, we cease to f- exist as a family. So here's the question this week. What does it look like? I'll probably talk about what it doesn't look like this morning, but what does it look like in the life of a believer? What does it look like? How does it reflect to the world out there? What does a church alive look like to this world? Who loves C.S. Lewis? Any C.S. Lewis lovers? Yeah? I love C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Let me say it again. To be a Christian is or means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. The Apostle Paul reflecting that, or I should say, Lewis was reflecting what the Apostle Paul said when he said, you be kind to one another. This is Ephesians 4.32. He said, you be kind to one another, tenderheartedly forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, we all accept that, don't we? 
don't we? We all accept as God in Christ forgave us, we are to forgive one another. We, I, we accept that wholeheartedly. Again, I'm sure no one in this room would disagree, but there is a reality and I understand it. Why we always accept that sometimes for some of us, we find ourselves balking at that. What, what I mean is this. You see, it's one thing to forgive the person that has just lied to you. It's one thing to forgive the person who has treated you disrespectfully. But truthfully, some of us and maybe some in this room have experienced great injustice against us. Some have experienced a cruelty, a life-shattering wickedness of acts. Acts have been perpetrated against some of us. And when forgiveness is presented to us as a requirement laid down to us by God, when we are told that we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, sometimes, and I understand it, I get it, when those people look at me and say, but you expect too much. You expect too much. But what I want to say this morning, and I want to say it as gently and as tenderly as I possibly can, is this God does expect us to forgive no matter what. And the truth is, even though there are people that wrong us sometime in immeasurable, in incalculable ways, and we might find ourselves with this compulsion, this, this forcing within us to make them pay. It might drive us or we might find ourselves simply sitting back, waiting, watching, hoping that they're going to get theirs. It's coming to them because knowing that is the only way that I can deal with the pain that is in me. They have to suffer because of what they did to me. And I understand that. It's raw. It's unhealed. But let me say this. And this is a life, I believe, a life-changing reality. Yeah, those people may not deserve our forgiveness. That is true. But we don't deserve God's forgiveness for us either. You may not want to forgive, but God, yes, he does indeed command us to forgive. And the reason he commands us to forgive is because he wants us to be free. He wants us to set us free. Free because he knows that forgiveness is the very power of God to bring freedom to a person who has been captured by a person who is living with a hateful, soul-destroying bitterness that they just can't let go of. He wants us healed. That's what he does. And it's through forgiveness. Doesn't mean that God is saying that you have to say that it doesn't exist doesn't mean that God is saying it doesn't hurt. doesn't mean that God is saying it doesn't matter. Nor does it mean that things are instantly going to be okay. Because forgiveness for some of us is going to be a lifelong 
decision every single day to choose to forgive. And that's okay. That's okay. But what we need to understand, when we do this, what we are doing is we are giving room. That's what forgiveness does. It gives us room in our heart, in our mind. It gives us room to let the hurt go and give the person to God. It gives you the freedom. It gives you the room to become all that God wants you to be, to become that light that he wants you to be. Let me read this to you. Colossians chapter 3. It says, verse 12. Again, the Apostle Paul says, As the elect of God, holy and beloved. He's talking to us. He's talking to the church. Holy and beloved. Put on. And he's talking about things that we choose to do as believers. Every single day, we choose to do this. He says, put on tender mercies. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on long-suffering. And bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Certainly it's something we do, isn't it? Look, I was, I was going to bed last night, and, I, and I, I was doing some reading and I read this statement. Let me just read it to you. It's about forgiveness. The writer said this. The Christian life is all about forgiveness. It begins with receiving God's forgive, forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. It continues as we then live in that forgiveness receiving it daily from our Heavenly Father and sharing it freely with others. Then he says this, we are called to forgive others and if we do not, then it is doubtful that we have really understood just how much God has forgiven us. I read that and I thought about it. And, and, and it made me ask the question, do we actually, if what he says is true, our lack of forgiveness, he says, is caused him to think and that it, he is doubtful that we truly understand how much God has forgiven us. I read it. I was laying in bed thinking, do we actually understand what forgiveness is? Do we truly understand what forgiveness is? When, excuse me, when the Bible speaks about forgiveness for our sins, it is pictured as, as being sin being erased from our, from our record. You can compare it to a, a financial debt that is being wiped out. Did anybody ever wake up 
Look at their bank, look at the bills that they're piling up on the fridge and you wake up one morning and all of a sudden you looked at those bills that said hundreds, 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 hundreds and you looked at the same bills the next day and they all just went zero, 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 zero. <laughs> Ever woken up and experienced that? Oh, okay. Well, that's the idea of forgiveness, you know. When Jesus was upon the cross... Dying, he bore our sin, he took it to the cross and bore the consequences of our sin. And just before he committed his spirit to the Father, he cried out this word in the Aramaic to telestai. It means paid in full. Literally means paid in full. So Jesus, who had no sin, gave his life for yours and for mine. But here's the thing. We're going to need to understand. His life had a value. His sinless life had a value. Our lives have values, don't we? We're very, very valuable beings, certainly to the God of creation. Certainly he he looks at us as an incredible value. That's why he sent his son to die for us. But the value of our lives is nothing compared to the value of Christ because Christ was sinless. The value of Christ's life is absolute perfection. And he gave it willingly, his life, to pay for your, for our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved. He paid the price for our sin. Forgive me for being basic here this morning, but he paid the price for our sin. So when we place our faith in Christ to find forgiveness... And that means acknowledging that we are sinners and that we indeed do need forgiveness. We need to get that because you know what? We don't like to talk about sin these days. And that's a tragedy because every man, woman and child that ever been born into this world was born dead, spiritually dead. Because they inherited a sinful nature from their parents that ultimately came from Adam when he disobeyed God and he fell. And so every single one of us, we must acknowledge this, every single one of us is a sinner. We're not merely people that have made mistakes. You know, it's so often presented to us like that. We're not merely people who have made mistakes. We're not just people who have given to human failings. We're not people who just from time to time have lapses in judgment and do the wrong things. No, we are sinners, every single one of us, and we need forgiveness. And so when we come before God confessing our sin, turning away from it, And turning to Jesus Christ as our saviour, accepting the forgiveness that he offers us, God can then forgive us our debt, wipe out and, and forgive us because our debt has been wiped out. Our sin has literally been wiped out from our slate because we no longer are viewed in the eyes of God as sinners. Someone has paid the bill. Everything is zero, zero, zero on our account 
now. And you know what? God doesn't call you a sinner anymore. We're no longer viewed as sinners, but now in the eyes of God, we are viewed as ones to the value of the one who died for us. What was Christ's value? Perfection. You are perfect in the eyes of God, and therefore he declares you to be righteous, right, holy. This should lift you out of your seats, people. Because this is what God has done for you. The Bible puts it this way. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, that is God, has made him, that is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's all zero, people. It's all zero. We are free. We no longer live under the debt of sin against us that was against us because God is holy and righteous. Our sins have been wiped away and God will never, ever, ever again see you as sinful. Psalms 103, the psalmist said this, as far, you know this verse, as Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let me read you a couple more. Acts chapter 10 verse 43. It says, to him, that is to Christ, regarding Christ, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission, which is the forgiveness of sins. We go to Acts chapter 13 and we read in verse 38, therefore, let it be known. This is the gospel. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is Christ, is preached to you is the forgiveness of sins. And one more, Ephesians, the first chapter, says in the seventh verse, In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of his grace. We are forgiven. We are free from the consequence of sin and death. And so again, Ephesians 4 is telling us, in light of this, he's telling us we need to be kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Jesus said some very arresting words. And I think there is nothing more arresting than what he said in Matthew chapter 6 when he said these words in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That is a somber statement, isn't it? You know, but sadly, that is so often presented to people as, hey, if you forgive, you can earn God's forgiveness. That's not what it's saying at all. That's not what it's saying at all. No, the heart of this, the heart of what Jesus was saying is that the truly repentant person towards God, the person who truly understands what forgiveness is and the price that has been paid, that person in the right relationship with God simply cannot be unforgiving. 
And if you're a blood-washed child of God who knows that you've been forgiven, who knows that the price has been paid for you, the debt has been settled, then you cannot be an unforgiving person. You cannot be an unforgiving person. So, if we are to forgive, even as we have been forgiven, and I've, told all, I've gone through all of that with you, which I know is revision for so many of us, all of that with you so that we can have a definition of what true forgiveness is. So the definition is this, that Jesus gives us, or sorry, Jesus forgave us, and in forgiving us, He has cancelled a debt that we owed, that we couldn't pay, but he has paid it for us. So the question is, again, what does that look like in the life of a believer? What does it look like? Well, let me read you two verses. Two verses, I know. It says in Matthew 5 and verse 23... He's talking about worshipping God. He says, if we bring our gift to the altar and we remember that our brother has something against us, we are to leave the gift before the altar and then we are to go our way to first be reconciled with our brother and then come back and offer our gift. Now, if we jump forward to Matthew chapter 18... We are told, if our brother sins against us, this in verse 15, if our brother sins against us, then we are to go to him, go tell him his fault between you and him. And it enters into that whole chapter about discipline within the church. But the principle is there. If, we have, if our brother has something or we, against us and we go to him and we set it right with him. And so this is the thing. If someone has something against... This is where we start. If someone has something against you or you have something against someone else, we don't do nothing. This is important. We don't do nothing. We reach out to them and we do one or two things one is forgiveness one is not forgiveness we either make the person who wronged us pay we make them pay and we don't let them off of the debt that they owe us so we either make the person that wronged us suffer is what we are saying which is not forgiveness or, now this is, where, this is where forgiveness for some becomes very challenging. Or, according to the description given to us through Christ's forgiveness of us, we forgive the person that has wronged us and we bear the consequences ourselves. How does that make you feel? That's the definition of forgiveness. In other words, let's, let me just bring it home to us. In other words, what does this look like? We don't seek retribution. Vengeance is not ours. It's the Lord's, isn't it? 
We don't seek retribution. We don't make them pay. We refuse vengeance. There are no verbal attacks, no constant reminders of what they of reminding them of what they have done to us, no belittling them, no innuendos thrown their way, no gossip, no slandering of their character, and no harsh mercy. That's so important. No harsh mercy. Because so often we say to people, okay, I'm going to forgive you, but don't you do that again. I'm going to forgive you, but if I see you acting that way again, you better be careful. I'm watching. I'm watching you. Harsh mercy. Is that how God forgave you? It's not, is it? No, it's not. No, we don't vilify. We don't demonize in any way. None of that. Forgiveness is not out to make people pay. Forgiveness is about seeking reconciliation. It's about leaving no one behind, remember? It's about leaving no one behind. It's about not abandoning any relationship. It must be said, but it must be said in light of that. Not every relationship can be saved. That's the truth. Well, forgiveness is always possible. Reconciliation doesn't always take place. That's not on you. Forgiveness is on you. But here's the point. Forgiveness is not willing to sit around and do nothing. It's going to try. It's going to try. Now, here's the thing. We all know this phrase, forgive and forget, right? Don't you love it when you get that advice? Just forgive and forget and move on, right? Well, the other one is this. This is, this is that harsh mercy again. The other one is, hey, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. Right? Well, the truth is, Forgive and forget. I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. The truth is this. Unless we are developing some form of dementia or going into senility, then we cannot forget, can we? Can we? Thank you, because you're in trouble if you're saying yes. You can forget, because that's identifying something going on. No, no, no. We cannot forget. Forget. You can't stop remembering. That advice doesn't help us. You don't forget someone that has cheated on you. You don't forget someone that is stealing from you. You don't forget someone who has perpetrated emotional or physical abuse against you. You remember these things. It changes you. It shapes you. It makes you who you become, which for some of us makes forgiveness very difficult. But there is a sense... There is a sense in the Bible, now I'm going to contradict myself here. There is a sense in the Bible that yes, we can forgive and forget. But we've got to understand it from a biblical perspective. You see, forgiving and forgetting in the Bible has nothing to do with my ability to retain information. Or to lose information. It has nothing to do with that. And here's my example. My example is Noah and the flood. The Bible says, it says in the Bible, talking about Noah and the flood, it says Noah, so the flood had happened. Noah is out on the waters. that's been tossed around here, there and everywhere by the storms and so on. And then it says, speaking of God, and he remembered Noah. 
Now, it's not as if God forget that Noah, forgot that Noah was out there, is it? It's not as if God forgot that Noah was out there being tossed around on this, in this incredible storm. It's not that God thought for a second, oh no, I've misplaced him. I don't know where he's ended up on this planet. I don't know whether he and that valuable cargo is gone. And God then remembered them. It's not that at all. In the biblical sense of remembering and forgetting, it's about choosing or not choosing to act. For Noah, God remembered him and God was choosing to act on his behalf to fulfill his plan and purpose for Noah. Let me read a couple of verses to you. This is Jeremiah chapter 31. It says in verse 34. And he says, now no more, and he's looking out to the kingdom age, but he says, no more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them says the Lord he says for I will there's an action there I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember it no more he's making a choice there isn't there we go to Hebrews in the New Testament it says in chapter 8 of Hebrews in verse 12, it says, For I will be merciful, same language, isn't it? I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and to their sins and their lawless deeds, and I will remember them no more. God does not forget that people have sinned, but when he forgives us, he chooses not to act on the basis of those sins. We read the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the the love chapter, when it speaks of love and it says this, love, what does it do? It does something. It keeps no record of wrong. It keeps no record of wrong. So when we say forgive and forget, what we are doing is is that we are making a choice to act towards someone in light of the fact that we have forgiven them of that action against us. We've got to understand that. So, So when forgiving, you choose. This is what it looks like in the life of a Christian. When forgiving, you choose not to indulge in ill will within your heart towards people. What what I mean is we don't constantly replay and rehash these incidents that have been perpetrated against us in our minds. You know, we do a lot of self-talking, don't we? A lot of self-talk and so often we are doing that. You know, and what we're doing is we are vilifying them in our minds. We are vilifying them in our imaginations. We choose not to do that. And you can choose not to do that. You know, we're not hoping that they're going to run into a spot of bad luck down the track because, again, they're going to get theirs. You'll see. You'll see. So unto the flesh and of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And we bring all those verses out and we even might even jump into a bit of mysticism and secretly be thinking about karma and things like that. God forbid that we would do that. No, we don't do that. But there is something in our mind that's going, oh, it'll be good if they get it. No, we choose not to do that. We make that decision. 
In forgiving, we are reminded of something. We are reminded that we are the recipients of God's grace that we talked about last week. That undeserved favour of God in our lives. And just as we are recipients of that undeserving favour, so too are they. So too do they need God's grace. God loves them just as he loves me. Do we ever stop and do that? And we think about these people that have wronged us. We see through God's eyes. And we allow God's heart to really be absorbed into our consciousness of who this person, what this person really needs. They really need forgiveness. They really need Christ. And that's what forgiveness is. It's a choice and a commitment to reflect God's love towards others. It looks like that in you, Christian. That's what it looks like. And what's God's love about? Well, God's love is about paying a price for someone else. You paying a price for someone else that has wronged you. How do I know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe on him will not perish but shall have everlasting life. To forgive those who sin against us, we realize requires something supernatural. It requires a transformational experience in our relationship with God, the transformational power of God within our lives. Can I say it again? In that old man, in that old life, there was something that was deep within our fallen nature that just thirsted for revenge. It urged retaliation. You know, remember it? Still tries to get up every now and then, doesn't it? still tries to ascend itself. It still tries to bring you to that place where you are thinking that, oh man, if I could just inflict the injury against that person, who, you know, eye for an eye sort of stuff, even quoting scripture there, aren't we? And so on, you know. No, in Christ, in Christ, can I say that a third time? In Christ, we have been given the power to love our enemies. In Christ, we have been given the power to do good to the haters, to bless the curses, to pray for the abusers. In Christ, we have been given that. What did Paul say? It's no longer I that live. It's Christ who lives in me. And Jesus said in Luke's gospel, but I say unto you, who hear. I, I note that he says that. I say unto you who are listening to me, Christ says, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Look, I just want to say to you this morning, and we're going to come back to this next week, because we want to talk about reconciliation and what that looks like in the life of a believer. I just wanted to say to you this morning, forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness truly is possible. Amen? Amen. Let me read this to you. We who have been lavished with grace have no right to withhold grace from others. We have sinned against God intimately more 
infinitely more, sorry, more than any person can sin against us. Let me finish with an example. Have I got time? Thumbs are up. Six minutes, it's all it takes. Jesus, the religious leaders bring this woman to Jesus and they throw her on the ground in front of him. And they say, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. What do you say should happen to her? And they put Jesus on the spot, testing him. Either he's going to condemn her or he's going to forgive her. And they think they've got him cornered because either way, if he condemns her, they're going to say to him, but what about all this love and forgiveness you're talking about? And if he doesn't condemn her, they're going to say, but you defy the law of Moses. We've got you. What does Jesus do? He bends down on the ground and he begins to draw in the sand. He gets up and he looks at the men that are standing there with stones in their hands, ready to... Well, ready to judge this woman for her sin. And he stands up and he looks at them. He says the words. What does he say? He that is without sin cast the first stone and then he sits down again in the ground and he begins to write in the, in the, in the dirt. Now, we don't know what he was writing. We don't know what he was saying. There's all different ideas about it. But as he rises up, he realises, or he knows, well, as he's writing, the men begin to drop their stones. It says from the youngest to the eldest... They begin to drop their stones. Was it from the eldest to the youngest? I can't quite remember. Eldest to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones and they walk away being convicted in their hearts. Convicted in their hearts of what? They're sinners. You see, here's the thing. Jesus rises. Everybody's gone. He says to the woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. And he says, nor do I accuse you, but go your way and sin no more. You see, here's the thing. The only one that was present at that place that had the right to judge her, to execute judgment against her sin, was Jesus. Because he was without sin. He was sinless. He was the only one there that had the right to do it, yet he forgave her. Each and every one of you have been wronged. Each and every one of you have been hurt. In all different varying degrees, I know. And and, and I sit in judgment of nobody. But I know this truth. You and you alone are the only one that has the right to be like Christ in that situation. To forgive that person. And to allow that person to walk away free. Now I say right Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? This is what forgiveness looks in the life, looks like in the life of a believer. You have the power to set people free. That's glorious. By forgiveness. 
I hope we, I hope we understand that. And I hope we allow the power of that to work in us today. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness to us, your faithfulness to us. Lord, we look upon the cross and we hear those incredible words that were uttered for us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. How glorious it is to be your blood-washed child. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us. And I want to pray, Lord, not only for these gathered here, I pray for myself, I pray for all of our families, Lord God. If we are in a position today where we are not reflecting that which you have done for us and we are not forgiving and we're allowing unforgiveness to build up within our hearts, we're allowing bitterness to take a hold of us, to get a root within our souls, if we're allowing ourselves to divide the family of God and splinter the, the, the very very purpose of the gospel message if that's who we are lord in heaven soften our hearts lord in heaven help us to see help us to see what was paid for us and help us to recognize that that was paid for even those ones that have wronged us you love them You are gracious towards them. You are forgiving towards them. You have a purpose and a plan for their lives that's going to bless so many people. Lord God, help us to be a part of that by being forgiving and setting them free. And in turn, Lord, delivering ourselves. Thank you, Father, for the power of forgiveness. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.